Welcome. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Old Millennials, a podcast that is a deep dive on shallow topics. Welcome back. From the late 90s and early 2000s. Oh, yes. Yeah, which I think is, well, I think it's just really specific to what we're going to be talking about today. You're absolutely right, Margo. My mistake. Um, I'm your host, Emily Bejan. And I'm your other host, Margo Poupard. And together we make old millennials. Absolutely. Um, I am really excited. I think this is probably one of the first topics that we decided that we must cover. And I also feel like the current culture has made the updates for these bands that we're about to get into a lot more accessible. Like there's Absolutely. there's a second coming of their careers at this point. So it was kind of a beautiful um, serendipitous moment not like that movie serendipity that makes no sense with the dollar bill but like real serendipity that you can only find and achieve with boy bands yeah no I mean so we basically with the dawn of Vegas Shows residents the popular excuse me Vegas residencies the rise of popularity in Vegas residencies first established by our Canadian queen Celine Dion Celine Dion but has gone on to now include I mean then like I think Britney was really sort Britney of the, was one he, of the, the hugest people to break and make it seem like a normal cool thing and normally and definitely younger yes because like like well, she has such a millennial audience exactly that, it was very it, like Celine Cher Shania who I love. <laughs> And, um, and I mean, Barry Manilow yeah. is still there. I mean, good for him. Against know? all odds, and Elton John too. Elton but I think John. he's his is ending soon. But I has to, have to say, have paved the way for like J Lo and Gwen Stefani. Perplexingly, Every, Christina is doing one now. Lady Christina, Gaga Lady has Gaga. one. I mean, it's it's become a Cardi B is about to do one as well. And we talked about this. Like, it's it's the perfect place for these people to kind of do that, just because these people, Emily, these people, our people, Margo, <laughs> our people. To do this because you get to kind of just anyone can go see it for a, for a fan it's great because you know there's one place to go see them for a performer it's great because you know the sound you're working with you know the stage you and know also the, the mental as we've now have been discussing more openly the mental toll that it takes to tour mm-hmm. no absolutely and I think that uh, these Vegas residencies are are going to continue I love it I can't wait to go to a bunch of these um but but anyway between that and a plethora of documentaries that were recently released 2019 the year of the scam i'm calling it scam is the new true crime oh my god between fire fast um what was the other scam the inventor oh and that instagram influencer caroline calloway oh my god well that wasn't a documentary but it fucking should be it should be it should be that girl's from where i grew up anyway lord and And then (laughs) YouTube Premium blessed us not only with a 30-day free trial, but also <laughs> incentivized um, amateur podcasters like Emily and myself to sign up for a 30-day subscription that we will undoubtedly forget about and cancel too late. I think this makes streaming service number four. I've for signed you. up in season one alone. Well, this yeah, we have to get that spreadsheet going of what you've signed up for, because God only knows what else <laughs> is on the horizon for you. It's something. But YouTube produced with Lance Bounce because oh, yeah, I noticed his yeah, name. Yes, yes. Um, it was one of the, of course, it jumps out at you, um, but it produced uh, The Boy Band Con Man, a documentary about Lou Pearlman, the mastermind behind two of the most successful boy bands of all time. Yes. 
Boy bands that swept the nation in the late 90s and early 2000s uh, that surpassed Beatlemania or, as Dave Holmes in this documentary so succinctly put it, compelled teen girls to gather in the middle of the street and yell at an office building window five days a week. TRL, which I actually know a girl when I lived in D.C. who lived in New Jersey, and she would get on the subway after school. She'd take the train and go to TRL in the afternoon on weekdays. That's commitment. Can you, can you imagine that life, though? You grew up in Long Island or Jersey, and, like, <laughs> I was like, man, my life sucked. Like, in comparison, you were closer to that than I was. Well, my biggest brush with fame um, in 99 was... I was obsessed with TRL when it first came out, obviously, because yeah. I was just, like, right in my age group. And so every day, since I lived down the street from my elementary school, I would literally fucking run home oh, yeah. to try and call TRL in time. And one day, I finally did. And I requested Backstreet Boys, I Want It That Way. And they played my little message on the scroll. And I freaked the fuck out. And this was, like, before the time of oh, iPhones. My God. Because my remember. very first, the very first person that I said this to was my cousin, and she was like, all right, well, prove it. I was like, well, I can't fucking prove it. You had to have watched it. Did you watch it? I didn't watch it. Well, then, it's lost to the ether. But it's that's such a beautiful moment in, in history. Like You know that scene from that thing you do where they run around, like, the appliance yeah, shop yeah, and she Steve Zahn? St- the stamp, yeah. Look that, oh but God. also Steve Zahn, like, high fives, yeah. a cardboard cutout. That was me. <laughs> no, I love it. And just I skipping around my house I'm so, was so exciting. And for me, that would have been just as exciting. Like I remember watching those shows with a videotape. Like I had a VHS tape. I would record much like mixtapes for audio. <laughs> I had a mu- I had music video mixes. And a lot of them came from TRL, so I had like Lou Bega's Mambo number five. Could not get away from that. Nope, nope. A lot of Backstreet Boys in sync. Um, and, like, if I knew that they were playing the full video, because TRL was, like, a snippet. Yes, sometimes they would just show a clip. Right. Like, a really right. bad DJ. Right. And you're just like, Ugh. But VH1, you could count on VH1 for that. Especially in the early morning. Yes. You got up at the right time. Yes. Their video block was very common amongst most students getting up at 6 a.m. to watch in the morning when you didn't want to listen to the radio. No, absolutely. Or watch the, the or at least in my case, watch the Today Show with your parents. <laughs> what, like, what a time, though. Like, you would actually spend time hoping this one music video that you wanted would show day in, up. day out. Yeah. Five days a week. Oh, my God. From 3.30 to 5 or whatever the fuck. And I'm, But, I mean, like, you also got a lot of other treats, not to veer too violently off topic, but yeah. between Mariah Carey showing up in her rainbow of shirt. Course. Um, of to course. To Lindsay Lohan sparking that feud with Hilary Duff. Like, oh, I yeah. really thought TRL had a lot of nuggets. So many. Um, of, it's just now a great pop culture relic. I know that they tried to reboot it, but... It's just not the same. No. Um, and I think the main takeaway from all of this is that Carson Daly and Dave Holmes are the most likable people and they've done very well from themselves. Oh, and Gideon Yego is still a snack, everybody. He's still hot. Oh my really God, hot. he's so hot. I follow him on Twitter. <laughs> I was just like, is he still hot? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank God. Pretty Gideon. sure super high a couple years ago, I Google searched, is Gideon Yego still hot? Gideon. And the answer was, yeah. If you're still single, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. You're probably so. a solid decade plus older than me. I don't really He's care. actually not that much older. I think he's first, only like eight or nine years older. I think he's the first foray into nerdy hot that I The enjoy. glasses. Like, the Buddy Holly glasses. But it was like, you know, I'm 11 or 12 and I'm like, I don't know. I'm told not to like guys in glasses, but here we are. And I am very attracted to Gideon Yego. <laughs> MTV News Brief. (laughs) Um, So, in our most devastating pop culture war, Emily, I need to know, were you Team BSB or were you Team Insane? I was all about the OGs, so I was Team BSB all the way. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah. I see. (laughs) 
What a time. Um, I decided to not get caught in the crosshairs, and I liked both of them. Obviously, I also liked Backstreet Boys first because, by virtue, they came first. Yeah, yeah. But as soon as NSYNC showed up, I was like, ooh, like, they also can dance really well. This music is really poppy and upbeat, and honestly, to be fair to NSYNC, as somebody who was a part of many a dance troupe, I've just danced to more NSYNC choreography in my time than I have Backstreet Boys, although I have learned Backstreet Boys chairography in the past. They were a fan of the and chairography. I, and I also learned Britney's stronger chairography before, but that's uh, just because I'm a fan of chairography in general. But, um, so I liked them both. I thought they were both good, and I thought they were both hugely successful. Like, in my memories, I kind of held them at the same level, especially during the same amount of time. Yeah. I feel like they both sort of fell off at around the time where it started to cool... And then everybody was in their age group that they were targeting kind of had aged out of it. Yeah. And yeah. I thought it just sort of went, all right. And then now you got Justin Timberlake. We're in high school. It sort of made sense. But um, we're here to talk all about boy bands this episode, specifically Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. But we're going to talk more generally about what sort of paved the way. We're going to get into some Lou Pearlman sketchy Ponzi scheme yeah. bullshit. Oh, my God. We're going to talk about physical album sales, which, like, straight up blew my mind. The facts and figures in this are... The money. Insane. The money. The money. Yeah. Just Scrooge McDuck style. Just You could d- jump into a pile of their money. They made so much money. I mean, so much. not really, because Lou Pearlman defrauded them a lot. But, right. you know, right. hypothetically, they stood to gain millions. Yes. Yes. And I will just go over some of these facts and figures very quickly before we, we do the breakdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So Backstreet Boys has sold over 100 million records, um, which makes sense. They've sold more than NSYNC, who have sold somewhere between 50 to 70 million. VSB has a longer discography. It makes perfect sense. I also have in my notes later on that they are the best-selling boy band of all time, period. Yeah. Full stop. End yeah. of story. They're, it's insane. So, But even before, even more, like I think by their third album, they were the most well-sold yeah. boy band and, of all time. And here's why. It's because their first, so BSB released a different international debut album than in the States because they were wildly famous in Europe before they ever became famous in the States. Like, they hit it big two years prior. So anyway, between that international debut album and the domestic debut album, they sold 28 million copies of those two. Millennium eventually sold over 30 million copies, and then Black and Blue sold 24 million copies. So we're talking about physical, physical album, sales. album sales. Like yes. you had to go to Sam Goody in the mall, yes. talk to that person yes. that was friends with your brother that goes to high school with him, and ask him for Black and Blue. Who plays bass in like a shitty band and a garage band yeah. that probably will play the rec center once and then break up almost immediately? Yeah, I think that's you the would... funniest part of the Beastie Boys book that I'm reading right now. Or so. <laughs> Bands that yeah. they were like part of, that they were like, yeah, we played one show and broke up. I know, I love it because I so I'm listening to the audio book because Mar- I saw Mar- the Mar- the book on Margot's table and I was it like, is textbook size. It's yeah. like 600 pages long. Yeah, you it's not a book that travels well. You got to yeah. read that at home. No, but it's like it. I mean, it's definitely that time where yeah, you'd have these guys one show wearing Jinko jeans. Remember Jinko jeans? Uh, oh yeah, me and my best friend thought it was really funny once we went into Blue Asphalt. Remember Blue Asphalt? Oh my god! And we. Put ourselves in one leg of each Jenko jean, and we thought it was super fun. We laughed so hard we fell out of the dressing room and they got kicked out. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, so you have okay, so so they sold. That's how crazy those numbers are for In Sync. Like they sold a ton of records too. For them, it's like the crazy records. So in one week alone, In Sync sold 
2.42 million copies of No Strings Attached. In one day, right? In, no, so that was in a week, and then they sold a million in a day. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, the one-day sales, I remember there were, like, lines out the I mean, door would, for No Strings Attached. You'd pre-order an album at the album at the store, or you would wait in line for it, and they'd actually sell out. That's the thing. Like, yeah. you could be at an album store... Or, like, at a record store, and the album sells out. As I was doing some research, they were talking about how Backstreet Boys had 11 million shipments of yes. their records. Like, I think it's just difficult, even though we lived through it, it's really difficult to wrap my mind around physical album sales now. It's, just yeah. because so much of streaming and download, even downloading, like, nobody really downloads anything because no. everything's readily available on Spotify. So the music industry has definitely changed the most, even in the last 15 years. Yeah. It's incredible it's insane and the only thing that's ever surpassed the no strings attached craziness is adele's 25 oh, did, sure. sur- did surpass it um but that's like i mean these numbers it's it's unheard of like this is peak crazy album sales i mean it's like we're children of baby boomers so there's money it's like pre everything like you have cash to spend on these albums but like thinking about that how insane to have physical copies of an album people actually going to a place to buy something. I know. It's insane. Anyway, that's those are the, the big facts and figures I wanted to share. And then the tours were like making $70, 80000000 million a piece. Well, tour, touring remains one of the biggest segments right. of revenue that you can hope to have as a recording artist, period. But this was definitely one of those first times, I think, where we were they were seeing like a resurgence of tours making sure. that kind of money. I definitely would agree. I think it, they popularized having to see a band together at this time or perform this singular album. Yes. Because you don't know what's going to happen next. There was yeah. like a lot of before there was FOMO, like some sort of like con- like concert missing out with your boy band. Exactly, exactly. I, I mean, it's you just unheard of today. Yeah. So the resurgence of boy bands can largely be attributed to one man, which is Lou Pearlman. Yes. Boy bands, for the purposes of this podcast, are defined by three, sometimes five members, but never four unless someone leaves. They all have to be skilled dancers, great harmonizers, be in great shape. You have to get shirtless dudes because uh, those Tiger Beat magazines are not going to sell themselves. And they have to fall into a convenient archetype, whether it be Dreamboat, Boy Next Door, The Eccentric, The Goofball, The Quiet One, The Big Brother, The Sensitive One. I think contemporarily, Bob's Burgers does a really, really great job satirizing boy band culture with Boys For Now. And Even their songs are hilarious. And Together did it as well, like just these yeah. extreme versions of like the older brother type who's like 50. 40. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, Chris Farley's brother. Straight up, like, up. looking at you, Kevin Richardson. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my one of my favorite stories is my friend's mom growing up. She was like, I like Kevin because he looks responsible. He's my favorite. <laughs> that was her whole thing. <laughs> I mean, we were looking. It was like, he. I think he's almost 50. Yeah, but the thing is, like, when you start out already looking 40 at 18, Kevin looks great because he looks exactly the yeah. same at this yeah. point. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, so for the purposes of this podcast, this is why we won't get into really in, uh, Hanson no, too much. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I think just timing wise, it doesn't really quite work out. Plus I honestly consider them more of a one hit wonder than I do a real boy band. And I was mostly because yeah. they were also brothers. No. Yeah. And I think they're just, I don't think they fit into the boy band formula because yeah, they yeah. kind of started on their own. They made themselves famous playing instruments together. Like it just had like a mormon vibe. Like it just, it wasn't the same. Like. I know that people thought Backstreet Boys had, like, an edgy vibe. I personally never got that, even as a kid. I thought NSYNC was edgy because they came out of nowhere. And 
dressed cool for the time period. Because looking back on those outfits, they have not aged well. No. So many layers. Layers. Um, there and, was... like, bulbous clothing. Where, well, like, they literally look like Bubble Boy. And a lot of see-through shirts. Which, Mesh stuff. Yeah, which, I mean, like, mm, we'll talk about Lou Pearlman later. Like, <laughs> a lot of questions about that. I mean, okay, yeah, we can definitely get into it. But I also am starting to form a theory that maybe Lou Pearlman, like, wasn't necessarily didn't have like a pedophile issue and was just more of like a fucking Machiavellian sort of control freak who wanted to like push people to their limits. Yes. To like prove how loyal they were since that was a huge theme for him. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, initially Backstreet Boys launched first and they were the number one boy band followed closely behind by another Perlman creation in sync. Uh, Lou Perlman created his own competition band in sync because he smartly figured out that at some point or another, another person would come along and do the same thing anyway, so why not just make double the profits? It's sort of like Coke and Pepsi, except what if Coke also made Pepsi and just, like, gained all the money and then also did all of the weird campaigning against each other and pitting them against each other and then gaslighting the brands? Because that's exactly what Lou Perlman went ahead and did with these groups of boys. And the opportunity where it came up was there was, like, it was whenever Backstreet Boys couldn't do something, like a gig of some sort, it was like, oh, guess, you know, we're tired. And, like, Lou probably be like, all right, well, NSYNC's going to go do it. And that's what happened. Like, there was a Disney Channel concert that the Backstreet Boys said no to because they were exhausted because they were, like, touring every day. And then... I have NSYNC- more on that later. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'll go and... I'll let you go. No, but that. it's totally true. But that's, yeah. like, an example of the way that he gaslighted him in, in the documentary that we watched yeah. for research purposes. Of course. Um, and also pure interest pur- purposes. Was that he would tell NSYNC, like, oh, can you believe Backstreet Boys? Like, they suck. You guys are so much better. And then they'd run, then he'd run to NS- Backstreet Boys and say the same thing about NSYNC. Yeah. And so he was just sort of, like, trying to pit them together, pit them against each other. And obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. It seemed like he was doing that in order to keep them fighting with each other so that they wouldn't look at their contracts to realize that they were both getting fucked over and also worked to the bone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Backstreet Boys, I'm going to go run through this as if you are a newborn babe and you've never heard of Backstreet Boys before. Um, Backstreet Boys consists, and I'm saying present tense because they are currently on a world tour, of Brian Luttrell, who is the boy next door type, Nick Carter, the dreamboat, Kevin Richardson, the narc, I mean big brother, AJ McLean, who is the eccentric one, and Howie Durow, who was the quiet one. Seriously, I do not remember that man talking until recently. Yeah, poor Howie. He I got mean, shafted. He kind of did. He also had a nice voice, though. He has a But he never voice. had any talking points. The BSB documentary goes into this. Right. Uh, so in 1992, Lou Pearlman placed an ad in the Orlando Sentinel uh, that he wanted for a call out for a vocal group. And AJ was the first to audition in Perlman's living room and became the group's first member. In 93, Perlman held an open casting call, sort of like, I think this is probably around the time that he got the idea to set up, like, a boy band boot camp. Mm -hmm. Because I'm sure he saw lots of talented kids and was like, I could do something with you. I don't know what, so I might as well keep you busy. And then I'll just charge you interest on all of this later. It doesn't really matter. Also, um, I this is all out of a Ponzi scheme, so it doesn't really matter. It's not real money. It's cr- they were, like, in these warehouses. Like, it was literally storage space that he rented out, like, in a middle-of-nowhere Orlando in, like, 105-degree weather with no air conditioning. So these kids are, like, on the verge of heat stroke. <laughs> well, Learning dancer teams. Well, the, sometimes they would also practice in his blimp. 
yes. fingers because yeah. he was allegedly like an aviation magnate. All of this is smoke and mirrors. Yeah, obviously. yeah. Um, from I mean, everything that he says is a lie. In the documentary, they go and interview people from his childhood that definitely corroborate all of this. The saddest being his childhood best friend Alan Gross. That oh was God. depressing as fuck. That was so so. Sad. And then the cherry on top of all of the darkness was oh he's dead now. I'm like cool. Yeah. This no. documentary is bumming me out. The only truth he really ever spoke in his life was that Art Garfunkel was his, his cousin. cousin. Can you believe of all of the lies that it's Art Garfunkel who's the cousin? I mean, and that was sort of his like cachet and in with these kids. Yes. Even though the kids didn't quite understand the importance or significance or probably didn't even give a fuck about Art Garfunkel, it would it meant something to their parents, I'm yeah. sure, who had to sign yeah. waivers and shit, because you can't just, like, put kids in a blimp hangar and make them do dance routines all day. And in the span, and, like, in the spirit of all these documentaries that have come out where it's, like, these kids get horrible things that happen to them, and it's, like, where were the parents? There's a little bit of that with this boy band stuff that definitely comes up. Like, not that extre- to that extreme, but definitely making me think, like, why would you subject your kid to this? Like, then, at the time, there was no, like, model of knowing, well, this will be a success. Right. And I think, and I, I have it in my notes somewhere, but Lance Bass's mom is a star. Oh, I think she's... that she's a really good example of someone that thought, oh, okay, well, my kid wants to do this, and I'm going to support them. And she was on the road, and it seemed like she was really, uh, she wasn't separated from anything that was going on in his life. And yep. it sounds like... She also, like, pushed him to join this lawsuit eventually and everything like that. exactly. So it wasn't like she didn't have her kid's best interests in mind, but she is from, I believe, Mississippi. Yeah. And a small town at that. So it's not like she had any coping mechanism, but she knew enough to know, I'm going to just be on top of all of this to make sure everything's on the up and up. Right. So when they got that 10 grand check or whatever, she was like, this isn't fucking right. You should look at your contract. And that's when it all started to snowball. But I am getting ahead of us. We're still in the early days. We're still in 93. The four other members of Baxter Boys have yet to be found yet. But eventually, Carter, or Aaron, or not Aaron Carter, which we can touch on that. Nick, Howie, and Kevin were all selected after a meeting, Pearlman, after this open cattle call. And then they flew down Brian, who is Kevin's cousin. Yes. And then they originally formed their group on April 20th, 1993, uh, after, after receiving a phone call from Kevin about it. Uh, that's why they posted recently on their Instagram that uh, it was their anniversary on 420. <laughs> I think it was Howie or somebody that, like came to my attention. I was like, that's just a little bit bizarre that your guys' anniversary is on 420 for a number of reasons. But this is all very sweet and innocent. Yeah. Um, like you would originally said, Backstreet Boys rose to fame in Europe in the 90s, picking up fans in Germany before they made a name from them, made a name for themselves stateside. I, fun fact, so have you seen the Backstreet Boys documentary? I haven't. I actually had forgotten about it until I started doing research for this and didn't have enough time to watch it. Highly recommend it. Um, they talk about how they were spending so much time in Europe, in Germany in particular, during that time that they all had German girlfriends, and Kevin proceeds to tell us how to say, um, would you like to kiss me? Would you like, uh, could I have a blowjob in German? Like, he has these... Yeah, he's like, that means this in German, and then this means, like, they learn German for their German girlfriends. Like, that's how much time they were spending in Germany at the time. Also, gross, Kevin. <laughs> I was very, I was, I was dis- <clears throat> destroyed a little bit. Uh, in 97, they released Backstreet Boys, which apparently is a double album yeah. now, but I'm, I'm just finding this out now. Yes, yes. Uh, and Quit Playing Games With My Heart somehow managed to climb to number two, and the album itself would peak at number four, and they sold 14 million copies copies with the release and popularity of everybody backstreet's back 
iconic music video. I mean, didn't they have a making the music video? Of oh, totally. This one? That might have been and one I of the first ones. And I definitely think that that pushed it, especially with the demographic that they were targeting. It definitely pushed it over the edge of yeah. making it popular. Yeah. Um, during the rollout of Millennium, Brian <clears throat> was bringing, excuse me, was bringing a lawsuit against Lou Pearlman, and BSB had made ten million dollars and had only seen thirty k of it at that point. Eventually, the rest of the members, with the exception of Carter, which we'll get into that yes. in a second, yes. uh, joined the suit and they settled out of court. But I, and this goes, with the, I have this noted later on. As recently as March of 2014, they were still suing Perlman for mismanaged funds, back funds as well, totaling to $3.4 million and asking for $87,000, or I'm sorry, uh, yes, in asking for $87,000 in legal fees for having to fight him in court for years. But earlier that month, the group had a scheduling conflict and then had to postpone the trial. And then by October, the group received a settlement of $99,000 in cash, 34 audio tapes, 26 CDs, Seven studio master audio tapes, six sealed posters, three audio cassettes, and one VHS tape. The recordings include some unreleased mixes, demos, and original material. That's like a 12 Days of Christmas <laughs> lawsuit edition. Yeah. It was just interesting how long their lawsuit sort of went on for because right. they didn't end up going the more public route, which is the way that NSYNC went. Absolutely. And because of that, they ended up being stuck in these sort of like legal battles with him over the course of time. And it probably, I mean... The main point is that they got out of that contract, which was the biggest issue, I think. But because of how he, how much he mismanaged and defrauded them, I think they finally did the math on some of it. And maybe he was making royalties at a certain point. It's not really totally clear to me. Yeah. But they sued for back pay, essentially. Yeah. yeah. So I think that if they would have just gone to court the first time, they might have just been done with it because I don't believe NSYNC had to go through court more than once with him. But they also had a very public... Not great trial, yeah. Where he proceeded to smear them in the press all over the place at a time where it was not good for them to have somebody being like these dudes suck and they're unprofessional and they're this that and the other thing. Yeah. But back to Backstreet Boys, they eventually settled out of court, and I want it that way. And Larger Than Life would go on to be the pinnacle of their success with Millennium, the Millennium tour, selling out 115 dates in 84 cities, <laughs> which again more bonkers numbers that you're just like what. Uh, shortly after that tour wrapped, something happened with their original Jive concert, or I'm sorry, their original Drive contract, and ended up re-signing with even more money. Wow. So they ended up making $60 million, making it one of the biggest record contract deals ever. It should be noted now that BSB is the best-selling uh, best-selling boy band of all time, full effing stop. Uh, they went to the Bahama, the Bahamas to record Black and Blue at the time, and then would go on to sing the national anthem at the Super Bowl. And then after that tour wrapped, AJ entered rehab. This also coincides around the time with the boy band craze kind of coming to a cool. And then Kevin went on to leave the group on good terms in 2006, and the rest of the band carried on with sort of they carried on with recording and touring, just not at the I same saw them level. That tour. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they were four members, yeah, like 2010. Yeah, yeah. So they just kept going regardless, just like not on the same level as Millennium, but still no. doing very well for very themselves. Very well for themselves. So that is all that I have on Backstreet Boys what? as it relates to them specifically. I know that what? you have some solo stuff. I mean, we can. I have more on like their updates later on. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. One last thing that's interesting though is when Kevin rejoins the group, they release another album, and I forget what it was called. It's like 2013. It served as the second longest gap between number one albums on the Billboard 200 chart at over 19 years, only surpassed by Sir Paul McCartney's 
36 year gap. Thank you, Wikipedia. Kevin rejoined right before their 20th anniversary so that he yeah. could be there for the documentary. Yeah. They became, they are the first boy band to top the U.S. charts in three different decades. That's insane. Yes. Yeah. I really have not taken the time or obviously have done the research prior to this to really take in the full body of work of the Backstreet Boys. I think, you know, you get so used to somebody being a punchline or like just being like, oh, they're just a boy band or whatever, brushing them off that you don't really do the math and then (laughs) realize the impact that they've had, especially in pop culture and in music. it's, It's pretty incredible to think like, you know, something as formulaic could have had that longevity. That's the other thing. It's just like, you know, when the, a lot of these lesser boy bands that we'll talk about later, no offense, but... <laughs> but I mean, lot- they, I just think it would be very difficult to achieve yeah. the same amount of success as the Backstreet Boys. Like, NSYNC is, are the only ones that got even close. Right, right. And for them, be, due to breakup and whatnot and Justin's solo career, that that kind of um, was a very... That was a much shorter period of time. But sure. to me, it's it's pretty amazing to think that in over 20 years... They have been, they managed to be on the charts. A boy band, like of all people. Of I mean, all they've been working since 1993. Yes, yes. If we just want to put it in those terms. Yeah, yeah. So, and I mean, after Kevin had left, though, they had had a bunch of offers to find the next Kevin, like whether it be in a reality show or whatever, and they turned it all down because they were like, no, Kevin's our dude, and he'll come back eventually or not, and we're just going to keep going. I mean, quite frankly, what else are they doing? Other than AJ had a brief solo career. Yes, he did. Um, his name was Johnny No Name. <laughs> um, he It was an alter ego, so if you remember Garth... <laughs> Garth <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm like, I can't help myself, a la Garth Brooks! A la Garth Brooks. So if you remember, Garth Brooks had a alter ego named Chris Gaines, who was like kind of this goth rock star. Oh, so- I remember the eyeliner, Emily. I remember. <laughs> the, the North remembers. The North remembers. So does the Southeast and West. <laughs> this I- so AJ, too, loved the eyeliner. So basically, he went But to on- be fair, AJ has always loved the eyeliner. Oh, yeah, I feel totally. like after the Everybody music video, he's just like, fuck this shit. I'm wearing eyeliner. And he, he still does. I know. And black nail polish, like in the Backstreet Boys documentary, he paints his, he's giving himself even a in pedicure. This, I mean, even in this documentary, yeah. his nails are black. I love him. You know, I love that he and Carson Daly, of all people, have, have maintained the black manicure. I mean, just I, I just, I bless. hate to bring up this interview all the time, but it was really fascinating. Danny Pellegrino of Everything Iconic interviewed Willa Ford, and the biggest takeaway I have from that is that Everybody loves Carson Daly. Like, Willa Ford was talking about what a nice person he is, and that when he got the late show with Carson Daly, her mom called, she's like, aren't you happy for your friend? That's like, <laughs> people really like Carson. Last how else, call with Carson Daly, man. How else would he be able to just host for 25 years? Can you, I mean, think about it this way. The guy, ultimately, the Dick Clark of our generation... <laughs> Eat your heart out, Seacrest. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, Seacrest. You're no Carson Daly. You're no fucking Carson Daly. Um, <laughs> or is Carson Daly art house Ryan Seacrest? Oh, my God. I'm sorry. We were uh, talking about Garth Brooks and A.J. McLean. So so A.J. decides to go off and do a Chris Gaines, and he goes by Johnny. <laughs> and do a Chris Gaines. Okay. <laughs> he goes by Johnny No Name because originally he wanted to be Johnny Swade, but that was the name of one of Brad Pitt's characters in a movie. So the studio threatened to sue him. And so he had to change his name to Johnny No Name. And his 
character had a backstory, as of course, all do. As great improvisers do. <laughs> Duh. Um, so some of it mirrored AJ's life. He was raised by his grandparents. He has a single mom. But uh, unlike AJ, Johnny No Name had been to prison. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Here we go. Yeah. So he, and he actually went on tour. So he he toured at a lot of kind of think like House of Blues. I was about to say, I'm like I remember the tour vaguely, and it came to House of Blues, not Sunset. Yeah, I think yeah. it was Anaheim. Yeah, yeah, a lot of House of Blues esque venues, um, and not the the OG, but really, yeah, some interesting. Um, and then at one point, according to Wikipedia. Remember VH1 Save the Music, like the founder. Oh, of course. So iconic, iconic nonprofit. Um, <laughs> he went on a tour, a nine-city tour for VH1 Save the Music as Johnny No Name. What? Yes. That yes. is a turn. That is a turn. And since then, AJ has released mother albums as AJ, not Johnny No Name. Okay. But, thank God. But good for good for him. Good for him. Well, all right. Yeah, and then they went on to have that Vegas residency. Mm-hmm. We can talk about it a bit later when we do um, Where Are They Nows at the end here. So what Backstreet Boys have in longevity and status, I do believe NSYNC makes up for memorability and name recognition. Yes. I feel like you could name literally anybody from NSYNC and you would know exactly who they are. I mean, yeah. apart from Justin Timberlake, Lance Bass is famous on his own full blondies. Absolutely. Um and so is Joey Fatone. Yeah. He has been in a number of reality shows. He has that hot dog stand that you were telling me about, which I knew about. Fat ones. Hot it's dogs. really funny. It's a good pun, you guys. The Orlando Mall closed, and so now it's a food truck. Well, so a friend of mine went to college in Orlando, and she tells the story about how um, Orlando, downtown Orlando, especially now, is just like Annihilation, the movie Annihilation, where like it's returned to the earth because everything has been pushed over to Disneyland and Universal Studios. So downtown is completely dead, literally and figuratively. Mm-mm. Anyway, Joey, Lance, even JC, who had a, who had a short-lived solo career, who really deserved more, but we'll get into that at the end. Yeah, Chris, I mean, I think Chris Kirkpatrick so, gets named <clears throat> in an Eminem song. So it's crazy that Chris Kirkpatrick didn't really capitalize on his InSync fame after because he's the whole reason that we have InSync. Yeah. He had missed the cutoff for the Backstreet Boys audition, but met with Lou Pearlman anyway in 95 to talk about forming a second group. And Pearlman said that he would finance the group if he could, if Kirkpatrick could find four other male singers. So Kirkpatrick called Joey Fatone, who they were friends when they were working at Universal Studios in Florida. That's which, something worth noting, is a, a lot of these BSB and Sync members are former Disney castmates. Ke- Kevin, Kevin was Howie, and AJ all went, went and worked at Disney together, yeah, and that's yeah. how they all met. Yeah, yeah. They all had singing aspirations, but that's sort of like how the group had formed. Right. Like, they, I think, since it started with AJ, I believe it was Howie and Kevin auditioned for Lou and that's how they ended up making the next round cut and then they brought in Brian and I think Nick was just sort of around as well. Yeah. From what the documentary makes it sound like. Yeah. Anyway, Chris knew Joey from Universal Studios then Joey and Chris went back to Lou Perlman for more suggestions and he gave them a bunch of tapes and they found Justin Timberlake through the Mickey Mouse Club. Timberlake joined and then he brought his friend JC with him who was also a cast member on Mickey Mouse Club and soon they decided to even out their sound by bringing in somebody who is not a part of the band named Jason Galesso, who was their bass singer for a while. Mm. sync received their name after Justin Timberlake's mom commented how, quote-unquote, sync the group was with their voices, and the group looked at the last letters of each of their names and decided that that 
could spell in sync with Justin's N, Chris's S, Joey's Y, Jason's N, and JC's C. Wow. I didn't know that. Yes. Jason will eventually be subbed out for a Lance Bass. Um, There's not a ton of information on Jason, but I do remember from the documentary, uh, Lance Bass's mom tells us a great story about how uh, Lou Pearlman either approached her or had sent her a letter basically saying, we're looking for like a bass singer. Do you think your son is still interested in being a part of a boy band? Because I believe he was part of like the audition process and never really quite made a cut and was just sort of like hanging around. And she basically said yes on his behalf and was just like, just go take this meeting. And then he was in the group. Do you think, do you think Jason likens himself to be the Dave Mustaine of NSYNC? You know, like, should have been me. I don't know. Did he start his own Megadeth boy band? Like, Or how Bruce Bochy is maybe upset that Blink-182 is the most famous person from Poway. <laughs> that was a deep cut for you. That was a deep cut. Anyway, NSYNC initially had a difficult time breaking through, uh, but like their direct competition and it should totally makes sense that they followed in the same path they had initial success overseas but their big break came like emily had said when backstreet boys passed up on a disney concert because that was when brian had heart surgery so he had an arrhythmia yes he had a yeah yeah a regular heartbeat so he was having fucking heart surgery so they turned down it twice i know to tour yes because it was like he postponed it the first time when they went on their first tour and then when millennium was completely sold out they couldn't postpone it anymore because i don't know did concert insurance not exist either way he was having his heart surgery at this point in time, and so they gave it to NSYNC, and it turns out that that was their big breakthrough, and this is thus the beginning of their runaway success. It started yes. with a Disney concert. Yes. Their debut album reached number nine, but the group's profile continued to rise with the release of Tearing Up My Heart as a single, and that, like, really getting a lot of airplay on pop radio. Oh, TRL. like All amazing. over. Oh, my God. But also, you could not escape that song on pop radio. No, you're all, absolutely It was everywhere. Right. I mean, that along with... Uh, Jesus Christ. I want. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Thank you. No, the InSync song, um, I Want It That Way. I feel like those two were constantly... I Want It That Way is BSB. I want it. I want you back. Is insane. I know both of them were getting played oh, oh, at the okay. same Sorry. time. Yes, I apologize. Con- My mistake. Constantly. My mistake. My um, mistake. It's okay. It's hot in here. I love that we're recording on the hottest day of the year so far. Yes. Where was I? Uh, their pop radio hit with Tearing Up My Heart. It was on VH1. It was they, they were everywhere all the time. They somehow ended up scoring a spot opening Janet Jackson's Velvet Rope Tour. Are you serious? I remember this because this is why Janet and Justin had that Super Bowl moment. Because she had known him for so long. Because back when NSYNC had their debut album, they opened for her. That is the weirdest opener I would have picked for the Velvet Rope Tour. I don't know. Beastie Boys open for Madonna. Anything is possible. I guess that's true, but wow. I know. That, in addition to a bunch of TV spots on Sabrina the Teenage Witch, bolstered their sales, and they were certified diamond selling 10 million units, which is a figure that I'll reference again when Lou Pearlman screws them over, or they realize more accurately that Lou Pearlman is screwing them over. 
in November, they released a holiday album, which is everybody knows is just like a it prints money every time you That's release why a fucking Buble. holiday. Michael yes, Buble. yeah, it's it, Michael Buble is. It's why Michael every Buble. artist that you would never, every artist you would never think would be like, why the fuck do you have a Christmas album? It's because it prints money. Yeah. People love Christmas. They go ape shit for this. Buble, Amy Grant, like you name it. So Home for Christmas comes out. It peaks at number seven, sells two million copies. With this, Instinct achieves Instinct achieves a rare feat of having two albums in the in the Billboard top ten at the exact same time. Oh my god. And they scored, finally, their first top ten hit with God Must Have Spent a Little Bit More Time on You. Slow dance staple. Oh, my goodness. A staple of middle school dances everywhere. Uh-huh. This also led to their collaboration with Gloria Stefan for the soundtrack of her music, or for the soundtrack to her movie, Music of the Heart, with the single Music of My Heart, which peaks at number two and is a top 100, um, top 100 single chart topper. In 99, NSYNC enters their very public legal battle with Lou Pearlman that would later lead to their most popular album, No Strings Attached. NSYNC sued Pearlman and his record company, Transcontinental, for defrauding the group of more than 50% of their earnings rather than his promise of only receiving one-sixth. I will get into the sixth man aspect of their contract in a minute. After after his promise of receiving only one-sixth of the profit turned out to not be true as it was the same for the Backstreet Boys. And we find out in the documentary, it was Brian Luttrell that brought it to both bands' attention that this thing was happening in both of their contracts. They, for whatever reason, Lou let his guard down, probably was a little bit, feeling a little bit comfortable, probably feeling really good about himself, and his scam was working, like any good sociopath, and had both of them in the room together. They were on a tour bus, and for whatever reason, they were talking, all the dudes got to talking. And, of course, when you get a bunch of people together who all do the same thing, who have been told certain things about each other, then they find out they get along really well, are going to start comparing notes. Yeah. So they start comparing contract notes. And as they get on this tour bus at the end of the night of whatever event that they were at, Brian announces to the entire tour bus, we're getting fucking screwed over. This sixth man bullshit is not working in our favor. And as NSYNC will come to find out later... In my favorite example of uh, Lance Bass explaining how the, how badly they were screwed, while Insane was at their peak, selling over 10 million records and working nonstop for three years, mind you, they've been doing boy boy band boot camp, yeah. which is training in blimp hangers, vocal lessons, going out to dinner, hanging out in a house all together. It was like real world, except you really go to your job, yeah, kind of shit. And there are no TV cameras. Working three years nonstop, they only made 10K each. That's less than what a teacher makes in one year. That's what they made over three years. And considering what those numbers were, and we talked about them earlier. Yeah, it's crazy. A bulk of the contract is worded in such a way that it made Lou basically the sixth member of their band. So he was recouping a sixth member amount of money in addition to charging them for all of these back pay fees, for recording time, for dance lessons, for vocal lessons, for housing, for dinner. It, it, it finds out that they were picking up the tab the whole fucking time. These sound like contracts from, like, the 1950s when you hear about oh, yeah, like, black like this... musicians who are, like, screwed over by their manager, It sounds managers. like any, yeah. any studio system, yeah. whether it's a record studio system or old time, like, a 1950s movie studio system, yeah. where you sign something, you don't really notice what's going on, and as you're being to be a star and you're saying thanks and we're all a family and everybody gets along so so well they are taking money right out of your fucking pocket you are being and this happened to tlc as well yeah and and probably worse too at because the, there were it was only just them it wasn't like they had 
the benefit of more people backing them up. No, reporting you would think these claims. It, it's insane. He very much, Lou Perlman, as we get into his background and his family and his upbringing in New York, very much wanted to be the cool guy and was never, ever the fucking cool guy. And he definitely wanted to be literally the sixth member of this band and have all the fame and the glory and do zero of the work and get all of the money. Which feeds into how he had a Ponzi scheme as a shell corporation and he used his Ponzi scheme money to create boy bands to make more money to go to the banks as proof of concept of a way of making money so they give him money so when people wanted to pull out of the Ponzi scheme you could pay him back with that but then when you have too many people in the Ponzi pot yeah. and they want to leave and you can't pay them back that's when your Ponzi scheme starts was to fall it, apart was the number in the documentary is $500 million right? Some, or, or more it was more I think you're right I think it was more but I think was $500 like, million was what he defrauded banks okay you're right you're, you're absolutely right yeah I mean, it's. It, I mean, it's like Madoff level, mm-hmm. except with a more interesting plot twist because there are boy bands. <clears throat> exactly. If it was Madoff, it would just be a bunch of numbers and exactly. Kira Sedgwick, and that would be it. But <laughs> in the Kevin middle Bacon. of all these Ponzi schemes, <clears throat> you have two of the most successful boy bands of all time. In addition to a bunch of other honorable mention boy bands that we will get to, that he also created. In yes. addition to being the person who pitched making the band, yeah, which got later taken over by Diddy, which again is like another level of bonkers to add to this crazy cake that is Lou Pearlman. And what's so interesting about that, and Ashley Parker Angel talks about this, who's in O-Town, uh, talks about this in the documentary. It's like, all of these lawsuits were happening simultaneously as the auditions for making the band. And so this is all very public. And this wasn't a red flag to any of them. No, exactly. So, like, I don't know about you, but I remember in 1999, every single MTV News, pretty much, was about NSYNC's lawsuit with Lou Pearl. Oh, I remember their like lawsuit. Serena Alshul, this is MTV News Brief, or Sway, or whoever, telling you Kurt Loder. I was just I'm like, who is the serious dad? It's Kurt Loder. Or John, well, John Norris was kind of that. No, I was thinking about Kurt Loder. You were totally right uh, the first but, time. But, like, every single MTV News Brief was about this lawsuit. And yeah. so, yet, like, thousands of dudes descended upon these auditions for this making the band thing. Well, I think in some way it gave him, like, a cachet, like, oh, well... If the if he's successful enough to get sued by these bands, and who knows what Lou Pearlman is telling all these dudes, then of course he'll be good to me. Like exactly. that's what he's happens learned. to them. That's yeah. not what's going to happen to me. It's You're that same right. ability to just associate, like with the Brett Kavanaugh trial. Not to make it so dark, but Beverly Hills Real Housewives. They talked about it last week, so it's on my mind. But it's the same sort of like cognitive dissonance that you can be like, well. You know, this terrible thing happened to me, but it won't happen to, like, it doesn't, it'll know, happen to them, not me. Yeah, I know better, right? And I know what it's like to have people drag my name through the mud, so, like, you don't, you can't believe everything you hear, because yeah. there's so much misinformation. Yeah. But, you're right, it, it is crazy that it wasn't a turnoff or a deterrent to literally anybody. It, instead, he kept all these bands, and he kept Aaron Carter, and, like, he kept launching people, trying to throw something at the wall until it was gonna stick, and none of it really stuck in that same way, but I think O-Town kind of got some a little bit of a foothold it was the timing was bad i think yeah no i mean they they really became famous right as the downfall that their their big singles like liquid dreams and uh, all or nothing another slow dance middle school staple um <laughs> came out around the time of black and blue which is really kind of that and celebrity are like the last hurrah of, I would the, agree. of that boy band era those two have like crazy album sales for nsync and bsb and then after kind of like the last that we would see of it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And then, uh, and then after that, it really, you know, it kind of fizzles. And and O Town, I remember, got really dark. Like uh, Ashley Parker Angel had a show on in like 
it's like 10 years ago it was like a number like some show to, where he's trying to become big again after O-Town you that know. sounds really familiar but he was like laying bricks as a job to make money like he and like one of the other members like that was one of the episodes I remember and I was like wow this is bleak like I mean there's nothing wrong with no, that absolutely but, not but it is like a far uh, I wouldn't say fall but it's like definitely a drastic picture to paint as opposed to like when he was I mean, now he's just an Instagram thirst trap come to life. Like, right. that's just all that he is. But, I mean, I think when you see him on the show, and he was definitely pivoted as, like, the number one guy of the group. And, like, Absolutely. he's going to go places. Absolutely. But to see him, like, just have a regular person job is just a little bit confusing. Because yeah. you're like, I thought you were going to, but this was it. Yeah. But I also think that plays into, like, a teen's idea of what happens when you're an adult and how careers are supposed to work. No, absolutely. <clears throat> but anyway, absolutely. back to NSYNC and their terrible lawsuit against Lou. They threatened to leave and sign with Jive Records at a certain point in this lawsuit, which prompted Perlman to then countersue them for $150 million and the use of their name. So that was, like, a huge part of their court case um, was the, the use of the name. It ended up getting thrown out, all thanks to the judge, according to Lance Bass in the documentary. Perlman's request for a preliminary injunction against the band was denied, and then they were they reached a settlement out of court after being heard by this judge that basically threw the entire court case out, um, and NSYNC ended up signing with Jive in the end. Free of Lou's shady dealings, a.k.a. Ponzi schemes, NSYNC managed to achieve their best charting album with no strings attached and finally hit number one with It's Gonna Be Me. It's gonna be May in a week. <laughs> the group also embarked on a world tour of No Strings Attached that year, um, and they also were featured on MTV's Making the Tour, which was later released into a DVD. They also had an HBO special where they were live from Madison Square Garden, and it was all a huge deal because It's Gonna Be Me was such a massive success. The group's third album, Celebrity, was released in July of 2001. They had three singles, Pop, Dirty Pop, uh, Dirty Pop. Iconic, uh, Gone and Girlfriend, which Girlfriend, I believe, was produced by the Neptunes, which would later go on and produce Justin's solo album, Justified. Well, just Pharrell. Not, I don't believe it's both of them. But anyway, the album featured more creative involvement, especially on JC and uh, Justin's part, who wrote and produced several of the songs. And it was very, it was pretty successful. It didn't quite get to the same No Strings level. No. I think that Celebrity will always sort of be, like, the stepchild to No Strings, and in, in more ways than one. I mean, I know it's the third album and everything, but... They, there was a lot of high expectation, I recall, uh, with Celebrity, and it just didn't quite get there, and I felt like they kept getting constantly compared to their last album, and I just didn't think it was completely fair. But just some more numbers. Pop got to 19 on the charts, Gone 11, and Girlfriend was the best one at 5. So after a little arena tour, they went on a brief, well, what was supposed to be a brief hiatus, but ended up being Justin Timberlake's solo career. <laughs> yeah. And then Justin went on to release Justified and become Justin Timberlake. I, I think we talked about this before. I mean, we did talk about this before we recorded, but we both cited Justin Timberlake as the least interesting part of NSYNC. Yeah. I mean, that's why I think I liked BSB more, not just because they were the OGs, but also I, I knew so many girls who were Justin stands, and I just couldn't get behind it. I really was always a JC fan. I think yeah. that JC is honestly like Paul Rudd's cousin. That man doesn't age. He's no. always been fine. I don't yeah. really care yeah. about anybody. That, any any opinion that doesn't agree with me is the wrong one. But I can tell you that I started to care more about NSYNC and their music 
because Britney was dating Justin. And I was, I've always been a huge Britney Spears fan. And so when she started dating him, I started to get more interested. Plus, like you said, the constant MTV news updates about this lawsuit. I was like, what the fuck is this band? And yeah. anyway, I, I kind of came to them a little bit later. But for me, the selling point was never Justin Timberlake. No. So now, if we're going to do some contemporary Where Are the Bands... NSYNC reunited for the MTV Music Awards in 2013. We've gotten some dirty pop-up shops. And like two weeks ago, four of them. That's right, Justin. No one needs you. We don't need you. No one likes you anymore anyway. That's right. Uh, as a quartet, they got up on stage with Ariana Grande at Coachella and proved that they could do this without Justin Timberlake. And uh, JC, you know what? Justice for Schizophrenic is all I'm going to say. It's not a great album title, but it is a great album. We were re-listening to it yes. before we went into record. Yeah, he has a remix with ODB. That's pretty good street cred. And the I, I'm sorry, but Justin Timberlake, as far as I'm concerned, Justified is his best album. Don't care. I think 2020 is okay. It tries a little bit too hard. Future Sex like Love Sounds as whatevs. I really cannot listen to Sexy Back another time in my life. But Justified is good because it's Timbaland and it's Pharrell and Senorita is a bop forever and always. Such a good album opener. But as we were finishing up our research tonight, I got some breaking news from Oh No, They Didn't. According to Jason Lipschitz of Billboard, one industry source told him that uh, that NSYNC could reunite and start a Vegas residency a la Backstreet Boys without JT, and that an agent thinks that they could play arenas immediately and that they're considering it. Mostly because they feel more confident now, and but it, I think it comes down to whether JC feels confident that he could carry a majority of the lead vocals. But I feel like it was always very 50-50 with him and Justin, and I think it'd be fine. I think he'd be great. I think JC always had the best voice. Like, even, um, I briefly remember, like, early, like, at Mickey Mouse Club, and, like, him having just, even as a young kid, a really, really good voice. I mean, he, even on Schizophrenic, like, if he can carry, like, a good, decent album with some bops with that facial hair and that mullet, like... And dating Tara Reid. Oh, man. He can do anything. He can do absolutely anything. So you were saying that Backstreet Boys had a current number one album. I know that they just finished their Vegas residency and are now embarking on, like, a really popular world tour. Yeah. Do you have any other numbers for me on that? No, I mean, it's just, at this point, yeah, they're doing another Vegas residency. They, they're they trying to think of, like, where where else they kind of are numbers-wise, but they, they just kind of continue to... Be successful. Be successful, like, just continue to have this amazing career and longevity. I mean, it's what we talked about earlier. It's, like, the fact that a boy band has this level of longevity to have, span, have a career that spanned three decades with all five the other thing is all five, all five of its original members that's that's insane like you look at the groups like all those Motown groups that still tour like Temptations or Four Tops it's all like the son of whoever like these bands you know they still tour I mean, 50 years later yeah. but it's all they're all dead or like even thir- 20 years ago like it was all like other a lot of replacement members for some of these bands but to see a band a boy band have that longevity I think it's pretty great what about some NSYNC side careers? I know that we just talked about JC's solo album, but yes. I know that, like, Lance was in a movie and Joey has a yes. hot dog business. Yes. Okay. So, obviously, we talked about Schizophrenic, very questionable album cover where he's in a straight jacket. Not a fan. But 
album had some bops, especially that song Blowing Me Up, which is from the Drumline soundtrack. Remember that That's, Nick Cannon movie? Oh, I was just talking about it because of the Beyonce documentary. Oh my god. <laughs> a friend of mine and I were talking about how much we love the movie Drumline because we're like, I mean, I fucking love marching bands. I mean, yeah, like amazing HSBC drumline yeah. marching bands. Give it to me. Good stuff. So, yeah, of course, Tara Reid is in this music video. A lot of trucker hats. And, like, it's terrible. I mean, what are, what's 2003? 2004? Yeah, it's, like, peak punked. It's peak punked. And, like, Tara Reid's hair, like, I described it as something between, like, the love child of Christina Aguilera <laughs> and Rufio from Hook. Ooh, you know what? You're right, though. With the red streaks and the yeah, cornrows. And, but also, like, the choppy layers, yeah. the way that Christina's stripped album looks. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, like, very much come on over baby as well when she had that, like, red hair. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah the, bl- the really bad thinning blowout. It was very strange. But, yeah, I mean, so so that's JC. Since that's his only solo album, he was a judge on America's Best Dance Crew with Lil Mama. And, you know what, good for JC with this resurgence of him being in this documentary and, like, NSYNC potentially having a a Vegas residency. I'd be down. Um, Other people worth talking about, Joey Fatone has mostly stuck to acting. Uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding was one of his movies. Um, Yes, despite being Italian, played Greek. Um, Just talk to Andrew Martin. Yeah. They're interchangeable. We we talked about, and then Ilya Kazan can play Jewish, Greek, Italian... Like it's it's kind of amazing. Just like, Lady, you're, yeah, Lady you're Kazan, from Excuse me, yeah. Mediterranean European, go. Yeah, there we go. Um, okay, on the line, which is that movie with Lance Bass, which uh, just fantastic. How did this get made? Episode with Ike Barinholtz giving the best nicknames for the lead. Turkey Sandwich and Hubcap. Amazing stuff. And I forgot about Or Emmanuel, I'm sorry, Turkey Sub and Hubcap. Emmanuel Cherokee's in it, aka E's girlfriend from Honorage. <laughs> just E's girlfriend, not even her name. And Emmanuel Cherokee. Just, just E's girlfriend. Well, she was, and what else? I think she was in Snow Day, which is a really terrible Nickelodeon. I, please, movie. I had to watch that movie for a review, and I would rather not revisit it with Chris Elliott as yeah. like the deranged the snowplow. snowplow man and Iggy Pop playing an ice who's. <sighs> Oh, the Zamboni driver? The Zamboni driver is obsessed with Al Martino. <laughs> Please fucking kill me. I don't want to relive this goddamn movie. Okay, we'll talk about that later. Anyway, um, so he actually uh, has been doing a lot of hosting gigs. Uh, so Joey Fatone has done some Bossley Hair commercials. Eh. Um, and then several <laughs> reality shows. So The Singing Bee, Food Network's Rewrapped, Live Well Network's My Family Recipe. I wonder if they have a He was on The Masked Singer. Yes, he was. The resort, he's been big in the resort slash cruise line circuit. He was hosting The Price is Right at Bally's Las Vegas and Dancing with the Stars at Sea on a cruise ship. Yep. Well, you know what? Joey stays working. He stays booked and busy. He works hard for the money. You better treat him right. In 2017, he opened a hot dog stand at the mall in Orlando called Fat One to play on his last name, Fatone. The Fat One's hot dogs and Italian ice. The mall in Orlando closed the following year and became it became a food truck stand instead. It's probably for the best. Now, Chris Kirkpatrick, the one interesting thing, this is what peak in sync. He got an idea to, like, as many celebrities did at certain points, to have it, his own fashion line. Oh. He called it Fu Mansquito. Nope. <laughs> Just sounds like a bad Smash Mouth dream. Like, doesn't it? <laughs> I, like, I hate that name so much, I don't even know where to start. I, I had to stop doing the research because, like, I, I didn't want to know It's somehow anymore. worse than Skidoo. It, la- it started... <laughs> Was this sold exclusively at Marshalls? Probably. It was sportswear. This is upsetting. Studded jackets. Nope. 
Okay, but please move 1999 on. 1999 to 2002. We're going to have a fight. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. A couple of other worth notable careers. Nick Carter has had three solo albums. So Backstreet Boys, moving to Backstreet Boys. Nick Carter, three solo albums. Okay. Did a collaboration with Jordan Knight, which they called themselves oh, right. Nick and Knight. I remember that because I was a New Kids on the Block fan by way of an old babysitter as a child and then got into them again in high school for some reason. Well, I think it started out as ironically and then it became sincere. Well, Jordan Knight, I remember, had like one hit in 1999. I forget mm-hmm. what it was called, but he had like one No, I'm talking so about like, high school, so it was like, we're, yeah. we're well past 99 yeah, at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, oh, I think was... it was because I was watching a lot of Teen Witch, and I was just like, oh, yeah. oh I really want to be in the 80s. And so Top like, that. Top that. So I got really into New Kids on the Block again. There, oh, I, so during this research, Nick Carter had this reality show with all his siblings called oh, yes. House of Carters, which my friend Kathy was obsessed with, and we would talk about all the time. My husband's the one that brought it up to me, he's like, oh, remember that reality show? Oh, with, like, the late Leslie Carter, because his <laughs> I know. sister R. I. died. That fam- I mean, all that that did was show you how fucked up that family Which, is. I mean, yeah. he was also barely in that reality show. No, no, it's very focused on Aaron and Angel and Leslie. And, yeah, because my husband was like, DJ, remember think... that reality show? Why wasn't Nick in it? And I was like, well, because he wasn't in the documentary. Well, feuding because of Paris Hilton. Do you remember? Oh, right. I forgot about that. But then what also, like, he was doing real stuff. Yes, yes, yes. <clears> it's it... not like he started on a reality show and he needs to be on one no. now to, like, maintain. It's not like he's a Hogan. No. You know, he didn't need to do that. That's another tragic. Yeah. But anyway. You know what I mean, though. Yeah, of course. You're yeah. a Kardashian. You don't need yeah. to, like, be on this reality no, show. No, you don't. But yeah, I was focused more on Aaron, who was incredibly successful at the age of 10, and then that was it. Yeah, he had, like, two albums. He has one with Lou Pearlman. I, I think, it, well, two, actually. is the first one, and the second one's, like, where Aaron's party comes up. He's, like, 13. Right. That's when the Lindsay Hillary. <clears throat> right, right. No, that's, about. I mean, that's where we talk about, um, can you imagine peaking at 13? That's really sad. That's dark. I shouldn't know the lyrics to Aaron's Party and That's How I Beat Shaq, but I know them pretty well. You know what? Loud and proud. Someone's got to have something to sing at karaoke. That's right. Anyway, sorry. House of Carters or whatever the fuck. I mean, it was just a time. Like, I mean, it's just all of them are living in a house and a lot of them have been estranged from one another at Yeah, I just points. remember with them all screaming at each other yes. and slamming doors a lot. Yes, yes, yes. And... Just, I mean, clearly there were problems, maybe some addiction. Like, it was not fun. It was, it was not, not a good fun. reality show. No, no. It wasn't trashy and light, which is what you come to reality shows for. Right. No, it was, I mean, it was clear issue. And I remember that his parents, like, I remember the Carter kids were estranged from the parents as well. Right. That they had had marital problems and domestic violence issues. I like, remember it feeling really Macaulay culkin Very much so. That's a good comparison, I think. Especially with, like, Macaulay having a little brother, Kieran Culkin. <clears throat> and also having, like, a domestic issue between the parents. And the and kids. And then the kids. Yeah. Fa- and then it's just it's all. It's just a mess. It's dork. It's Tampa. Oh, yeah. It's very Florida. Florida man. Uh, anyway, continue. No, I mean, so, I mean, these are the biggest ones that I kind of came up with. I think NSYNC's members probably have the most fascinating of the solo endeavors. Lance, right. of course has become very famous, came out about 10, I would say this is like 10, 15 years ago at this point, um, which was a big deal. I mean, like, it's still a big deal when actors and, and entertainers come out, but at this time, I feel like Lance Bass was probably the first of, like, kind of millennial-targeted celebrities who really came out, and and it, I remember that People cover. Like, that was, that was a really big deal, and... Um, since then, has done, you know, fairly well for himself. He produced this documentary that we watched. He also tried to buy the... Well, he ended up buying that Brady Bunch house. Remember when he was going to go in space? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so I have two quick Lance Bass stories, Please just tell. by virtue of being somebody that grew up in L.A. I saw Lance Bass on a date with Danielle Fischel once at the sushi spot in Sherman Oaks that I used to go to with my godmother all the time. prom date. I know. They were really friends. Like, they, I think at this point Lance was out, but they're still friends. Yeah. Because I think Danielle was with a boyfriend and Lance, and it was the three of them. Oh, wow. I can't remember if there was another person, but it was just three people. But I remember Danielle being with a dude and Lance being there and it not seeming weird. And then another time was I went to a Oscar party. Oops. I went to an Oscar party at the Ivy. Mm. Or, no, I'm sorry. Not the Ivy. The Abbey. The gay bar. The Abbey in West Hollywood. Um, and Lance Bass was there. And my mom had had something to do with this event, which is the reason why I got to go. And so she saw Lance Bass. And she was like, oh, my God, my daughter loved you growing up. And she introduced us. <laughs> my mom also, when she was working um, on a daytime talk show for NBC, I can't remember which one anymore. I'm sorry. I want to say it's, like, Bethany Frankel, but I know that's not right. But some, like, short-lived daytime talk show and 98 Degrees performed and they weren't really quite as popular as they would go on to be at the time but my mom knew enough to know like I have like a preteen daughter she's obsessed with boy bands and so she got me like an autographed picture from them and then later I went I ended up meeting them at some point in time but only two not Nick the other Lachey oh and the then Drew the, Lachey and the cousin there was okay so there's Drew Lachey there's Nick Lachey Drew Lachey Jeff. Just, Jeff, Jeff and Justin. Jeff. I met Jeff and Drew, and okay. they were both very, very nice. Oh, and good. Truth be told, I always thought Jeff was the hot one. He so was. Definitely, I was very. I agree. He okay. also ended up being like in a Chippendales thing, so oh, there's also that. Uh, you know, fun, fun trivia. What, what um, record company was 98 Degrees signed to? Said RCA. So originally they were signed to Motown Records. <laughs> Yes. That makes about as much sense as J-Lo doing the Motown tribute at the Grammys this year. Yes. Yes. 98 Degrees was originally signed to Motown Records. Okay, I have one more really quick 98 Degrees anecdote. Last year, I taught a sketch writing class, and I one of the assignments that they had to do was a runner sketch, which is like a sketch that's really short, but it reoccurs throughout the course of a show. And so one of my more demented students this was did a really funny runner sketch that posited the question, okay, I mean, 90 Degrees gets back together, they're reuniting, great. But what if Nick Lachey was really, really into internet conspiracy theories, and instead of singing their hits, he just had conspiracy theories as lyrics? When I tell you I cried laughing when we did the final read, I mean, you were there. I, I, was, was, I was crying. dying. It was Good. so funny um, I might post some lyrics I'm, I'll ask the author of the sketch if it'd be okay and maybe when this episode releases I'll release some of the lyrics because they were really good oh my goodness they anyway. were great could you do it on the notes app like a celebrity yes I will do it like a celebrity apology I will screenshot my notes app with lyrics of hypothetical <laughs> 90 degrees meets conspiracy theory lyrics so we did touch on how Lou Pearlman had created um, Making the Band where he found O-Town, but he also is responsible for a, a couple other bands. Yes. Um, C-Note. Yes. Innocence, which is a girl group, that yes. I remember their one single and then they disappeared. Yes, and they had a member, Nikki DeLoach, who was a former Mouseketeer as well, like same time as like Britney, Christina, Justin, JC. And then LFO, where it's crazy to think that two members have passed away. Yes. Really? Yes, two. Two I of know. them? Yes. I did like a 
I found a oh BuzzFeed listicle in my research where they're like, yeah, there's only one member remaining. I was like, cool, now I'm depressed. I'm I remember one of us like pr- protesting in front of abortion clinics. Both so I was kind of like, passed away from cancer, unfortunately. Oh my god. I think one had leukemia, and I forget what the, the other really one was. Sad. Moving on very quickly, then we've got Take Five, who I believe did they do Baby When the Lights? Oh, that's five. Go out. That's Fuck. a British band. Yeah. Okay, yeah, just yeah, kidding. Yeah. Well, then there's Take Five. And then also Aaron Carter. Yeah. So honorable mentions of boy bands that we did not cover. 98 Degrees, as we were just talking about. Five. Baby, when the lights go out. Slam dunk the funk. Two. Gather. Yes. And Boys to Men. Yeah, Boys to Men. Who kind of like paved the way for like sexy ballads for boy boy groups. absolutely. Unfortunately, there were four of them, and they were just a little bit early in the time period that we're looking at right now, which is why we didn't go full-blownsies. But if we were doing like... Straight up '90s podcast. They oh, would yeah. have like three episodes dedicated absolutely, to their career absolutely. because their career is insane. Well, and you look at the early footage of NSYNC and BSB, and they are always covering Boys to Men songs. Yeah, like they are almost. They always, are the standard. Yeah, absolutely. That's how you show off you have harmonies is you do a Boys to Men. This song. is true. Yeah, yeah. As we were talking about before we came in to record, like Backstreet Boys was always more about like harmonies and ballads, whereas NSYNC, they maybe not have been as prolific. Or as long lived as Bastard Boys, but they have like the most dancey, poppy hits, I think. But maybe that's why they, they can work is like BSB as you get older, like, you know, they don't have to dance as much, just like in sync. Like, from what I've seen of their Vegas residencies, they still dance for like an, two hours. Yeah. Which is a long time. That's, that's they're doing incredible. two hours of cardio, five nights a week. And they're all in their 40s. Yeah. Like, yeah. I can barely do it now. I know. I am terrible. <laughs> but I think we have wrung out this boy band topic. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, at least as when it comes to Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. Is there anything else that, any other impressive numbers or weird facts or anecdotal stories? One honorable mention here that we don't want to go into too much, but I think should be a how did this get made at one point, uh, was this movie called Long Shot that Lou oh. Pearlman wrote. Yes, no, please get into it because okay. this was weird. Okay, so so in, in in the midst of this Lou Pearlman boy band craze between him and his like A-level boy bands, B-level groups, C-level, what have you, um, he wrote this movie called Long Shot. And uh, it was produced or whatever by, like, the Transcontinental, all that. One of his, like, shell corporations. Exactly. He claims, or there allegedly it cost $20 million to make, but there's no confirmation. And considering it was filmed in, like, Toronto or something. And also considering that he lies about everything. Yeah, so I I doubt this is, this was a way for him to show off all his band creations. So it includes, uh, surprisingly not BSB, but NSYNC, LFO, O-Town, Innocence, Britney Spears. I think C-Note is in this. And there are some high-profile cameos in this, like, Gilbert Gottfried, <laughs> Art Garfunkel. You got cousin Art. You gotta get cousin Art in here. Paul Sorvino plays the mob boss. Okay, in this so movie. this is a real quick sidebar on Paul Sorvino. Turns out you can pay Paul Sorvino to show up to anything. There is what? there is a beverage magnate in Canada, like a legit beverage magnate. All he wants to he's rich, filthy rich, and all he wants to do are make bad Tarantino ripoffs. Oh my so God. he pays. Great actors who are slightly past their prime or aren't getting as many Hollywood roles as they should to be in these god awful movies. And Paul Sorvino was in this movie called The Sicilian Vampire, where in his, hold on, in his contract, he must have said, I'll show up, I'll take your fucking money, but I'm going to be seated the whole time, and you're only going to shoot me from the waist up. Because the nine shots that he's in, he's either in a conference room sitting down or he's in a car sitting down, but he's not acting with anybody else. It's amazing. Also, a great... Flophouse podcast, a great Flophouse podcast episode of The Sicilian Vampire. I will have to listen to Oh this. my god, it's 
It is... Oh, man. Deranged. So, okay. So other people, Dwayne Johnson made his film debut in this movie as <laughs> Mugger. Okay, also, by the way, The Rock was also in that terrible Southland Tales movie with Sarah Michelle Gellar and Justin Timberlake. Oh so God. early The Rock is not the Hobbs and Shaw we no, come to know. No, Dustin Diamond is in this, of course. Lord. Screech had to make money. Well, uh, Screech will go on to get stabbed oh, <laughs> and go to jail, so you gotta yeah. make your money where you can. Let me, I'm not gonna go into this movie too much other than the very quick plot. Uh, it's, it's about some dude, some random actor who's not famous, who's a shy jock. He misses his big shot at the big high school basketball game, of course. He lives with his older brother, who wrote, coincidentally, I believe, produced this movie um, and has not done anything since. Uh, of course. Um, he is a personal trainer and also a gigolo. <laughs> um, some evil businessman dude, played by Paul Sorvino, discovers that his wife is having an affair with him. So he threatens to kill him unless he goes and seduces a wealthy widow in New York who's about to sell her company. So... He's worried about his little brother's life. He's going to throw in a dash of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Oh, my God. So he's worried about his little brother's life. So he brings him with to New York. He gets to know the woman, the widow. They fall in love. Meanwhile, this is kind of creepy. The brother falls in love with his daughter, with her daughter. Ew. Right. So so mom and older brother, daughter and little brother. Gross. Um, so, of course, they get to know each other. And then, like, the... Gigolo slash personal trainers like, well, here's what's going on. I've been threatened. You know, I've been told I need to get all this intel on you. Otherwise, my life is in danger. So they vow to try to, like, save her company from financial troubles. It's, like, very... I refuse to rewatch this movie. I've seen it once. Um, I refuse to rewatch it to get clarification. But basically, long story short, in order for this woman to kind of reclaim her company, there is... She needs $2 million. And of course, there just happens to be a free throw contest. Oh my that, God. Where the prize money, coincidentally, is exactly for that sum. Exactly. So, our Never dude, mind the taxes that you have to pay on gift money that you win. Not. But, I mean, Lou Perlman is a con man, so he so wouldn't think about that implication. He wouldn't even think about that. He's in Florida. Like, there's just a lot there where taxes are. Are mere, you know, suggestions. suggestions, if you will. So, of course, in a stroke of luck, he wins this contest. And it's a half-court shot. He makes it. She keeps the company. The uh, Paul Sorvino's arrested. And everyone lives happily ever after. Again, thank you, Wikipedia. And also Nathan Rabin, like one of the original writers from AV Glove, and his blog, which just gave me all this information. Um, just, like, oh, Weird. Oh, they sold it via infomercials. This movie was, of course, direct to DVD because. Of like, course, they sold it via, via infomercials. He's a fucking con man. That's what a con man would do. This is like Saul Goodman fucking base oh level God. marketing. And then it was apparently packaged with Britney Spears' Crossroads at select FYE stores, which I told Okay, that's you, insulting. That was probably, I know, like Shonda Rhimes, justice for Shonda Rhimes. She doesn't deserve that. But that's Don't associate Shonda with this mess. That's probably the most 2002 sentence ever, though. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, At FYE. I mean, F does FYE even exist? No. no. Sam Goody, Tower Records. Oh, gone, oh. gone, and gone again. I mean, there's that great documentary by Colin Hanks on... Great. Tower Records. Which I didn't realize recommend. was from Sacramento until I watched that. Yep. Yeah. Good. Really great documentary. Um, but yeah, basically this weird ass movie exists. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. And 
Jason Manzukas, Paul Shear, June Diane Raphael, if you are listening to our little podcast, this is worthy of a How Did This Get Made episode. I totally agree. I mean, you guys have already done On the Line. I mean, we've got so much great stuff to read and listen to yeah. now that we've done this deep dive. We've got Long Shot, a potential How Did This Get Made contender. Yes. Watch On the Line if you never have. It's great. It's so dumb. It makes no sense. Yeah. It's it's better than from Justin to Kelly in the sense that it's shorter. Yeah. And but Al the same Green. sort of, and the same sort of like substance of plot, honestly. Why did Al Green agree to be this? Movie? I feel like he just got confused and maybe just showed up. Um, definitely listen to JC Chazay's Schizophrenic Justice for Schizophrenic, please. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I don't know, watch InSync's reunited performance at Coachella with Ariana Grande and Catch Backstreet Boys on tour. Yep. And you can follow us on Instagram at the Old Millennials Pod. Yeah, we had a little snafu with our Instagram <laughs> accounts. I'm... But if you go to Old Millennials Pod, we'll have a post up directing you to this new account soon so you won't be confused. Exactly. Um, and then you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Emily A. Beijing. And I'm at Margs, she wrote. And until next time, bye. Bye.